Good morning. It's really good to have you here at our 1045 service. We're continuing on the series called the I Am Statements of Jesus, and we're looking at the seven I Am Statements in the book of John that Jesus made. And these statements are not just statements of who he is um, as a man, but also who he is as God. They were statements of his deity. There was no question in a hearer's mind when they heard him say this, what he was claiming to be. And therefore... Therefore, there's been some skepticism throughout the years on what the I am statements really mean. Uh, there's the picture, um, used to be that uh, skeptics said that Jesus really didn't say these things. And so there's been elaborate works to, to find out what did Jesus really, really say about, about who he was. And, and more recently, we found that that's not been the case because of the reliability of the scriptures standing the, the uh, holding up to scholarship and being accurate and being reliable. And now the issue is many skeptics and cynics would basically say that Jesus did say these things, but he was unstable mentally. And he was kind of crazy, and a crazy man would say this. And in reality, if we go back to the original source of the scriptures, when he actually said these, that's exactly what the Pharisees said about him. That he's a crazy man, he's a lunatic, and it's much like C.S. Lewis said, that either when people heard Jesus, they, were either, they viewed him either as a liar, a lunatic, or as Lord. And that's the purpose of this series. <clears throat> to really come in contact with the historical, biblical Jesus of Nazareth. And to believe and receive him as Christ and as leader of my life. And that's our goal. That's our goal, that you would come into contact through the scriptures this morning with the Jesus, the biblical Jesus, that you would see who he is and what he's calling you to, and that you would turn from your sin and turn and trust him. And uh, it's my desire that if you're here, I really want to do a good job in clearly preaching the word this morning so that you'd see who he was, so that you'd have the choice to either accept him or reject him. And then if you have accepted him, we want you to follow him. He's not just saying these as things that we're good to know about him, but he calls us into a relationship with him through these I am statements. So let's read today. It's in John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, look on someone who has one next to you or go in the back and grab one. I'm not offended if you get up and walk to the back, so as long as you don't walk out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Just grab a Bible and come on back, or if you see someone without one, move on next to them so that they can see what's, uh, what, what, you're, what you're reading. John 15, verse 5, it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a re- man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, read that with me. Nothing. So by the time you leave here, I really want you to believe that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing that lasts eternally. I really want you to understand that because that's what Jesus is saying. Now let's follow that I am pattern. Each week we kind of go through uh, the pattern that Jesus gave as he said these statements. It starts with a truth claim. And the truth claim here is, I am the vine. Jesus doesn't just say that he is, he also gives this relationship. This is kind of the unique in the I am statement. He says, this is who we are. He said, you are the branches. So he makes that truth claim. Then he does teaching. 
he gives a teaching. And the teaching is all in this passage. It's in John chapter 5, 1 through 17. We're going to find out what did he mean when he said, I'm divine. And so that's what we're going to do. And he does an elaborate angle of teaching and explaining what does he mean when he says, I'm divine, you're the branches. And then there was a call. There was a call to trust. Jesus just didn't make these statements and walk away. He said, no, do you believe this? Because if you believe this, this is what you'll do. And he says, if a man remains to me, or basically, if anyone remains in me. We're going to find out what he meant by what does it mean to remain in him. And then he gives the promise. He gives the promise. He says, he will bear much fruit. He gives another promise, and that's, that's expressed in the negative. The positive is he will bear much fruit if he remains in me, but then he gives a negative promise. He says, apart from me, you cut yourself off from me, you can do nothing. That's the promise Jesus gives. And so let's look at what he meant in this teaching. Let's uh, put the anchor down in this passage and really try to find out what did he mean Uh, And and as we do that, I just want to remind you what was happening in the life of Jesus when he said this. And it's explained in the narrative of John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. John chapter 13 starts out where Jesus was preparing his disciples for his arrest and for his trial and for his suffering and his death and his burial and his resurrection. But now... He was going to show them the full extent of his love. So he shows them a picture and a pattern of his relationship with his father, of continual conversation, of continual dependence, continual faithfulness and obedience. He also gives a picture to the relationship with them, from him, with his followers. And he talks about that relationship being a relationship of love and of service and of selflessness and of sacrifices. He also talks about their relationship with him, what should be their response. He calls them to love him and to follow him and to obey him. He calls them into their relationship with each other. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. And then he gives their relationship, a picture to their relationship with the the world, that when they leave here, they shouldn't be surprised if the world rejects them because the world had rejected him. So Jesus was setting them up and preparing his disciples for their departure. John, by the way, you know, dedicates over 40% of his narrative into this last part, this last eight days of Jesus' life. It's amazing how he does that. It's as if he's saying, this is why Jesus came. And that's why we got to grasp this. This is why Jesus came. To die for our sins. To be put on there and face the wrath of God for our sins. And he became sin for us. And he was perfect. And he took the punishment. And he would rise from the dead. And he would go and ascend to the Father. And he would commission the church to be fruitful and multiply in this world. So let's take a look in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And we'll read that. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. 
you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, Jesus is calling them. He's calling them into a relationship with him. And he, he gives a word picture that is this statement, I am. And he, he, he says that he's the vine, his father's the gardener, that we're the branches, and that the goal of him is to bear much fruit through our lives. And so let's develop these four things that Jesus develops. The vine, the gardener, the branch, and the fruit. Let's take one of, each one of those and, and understand now. Let's go back to that picture real quick. This is a picture of the vine, this first thing. Not very pretty, but out of everything from, from the uh, grapevine comes from this vine. It, uh, when, when you go and plant a vine into the ground, you will find that it takes three years for you to get grapes from it that are usable. And so it's a long-term process of this vine. It's the source and it's the sustainer of everything of the plant. It's rooted, it's grounded, it has a heritage with it. And the vine can live to be over a hundred years old. And the energy of the vine is funneled into every other place, the branches and into the fruit. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the, brand, I'm the vine, is that, is that I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine that everything finds its source and sustenance in me. And he calls us to remain in him. You know, every living thing represents a relationship of remaining from the, in, in the most important things to the less important things. From the vital to the non-vital. Even your body has that concept. That's why your, your organs are arranged into vital organs. And it's those things that when you take them away, the body dies. Your, perhaps your most vital organ is your heart. So the heart stops, everything drops. And so that's that picture. You can lose a hand. I'd hate to do it, but you could, and you'd still live. But you can't lose your heart and leave the hole and just pretend that life is okay. Everything dies without that. And if Jesus were talking about the body uh, in relationship to the vine, he would say, I'm the heart. You take me out and, and you're gone. You have to remain in me. And then he says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. He is saying that he is that vine. The vine is Jesus. Jesus is vital to us. You separate from him, you die spiritually. You, 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 you make a step to live independently. To walk away, you die spiritually. That's that picture that he's given. So this is what he meant by the vine. Then he talks about the gardener. And the gardener, in the relationship to the vine, you see the work of the gardener on the vine. This is a picture of the work of the gardener. In the off-season of grapes, they, uh, they go and they cut. They cut away. They cut away the dead growth on the vine. And they can usually see that through discoloration. They kind of know or they, they can clip, you know, if, it, if it's brittle, it, it was dead. On, on a healthy branch, they'll cut it back and they'll prune it. Because all the energy of the vine needs to be poured out through a smaller area so that grapes can be larger in those, in those areas that he's pruned or she's pruned. 
And so the picture of a gardener is he's working out a plan. He's working out a plan. And it's his intention or her intention that there are big grapes, that there's a huge harvest, that there's good fruit at the, at the time of harvest. And this is something that he thinks about way before harvest time. It's done when the, when the vine is kind of an endowment position. And he goes and he, he prunes that. Because everything in the vine is hoped that it would produce produce good fruit. And Jesus says that his father is the gardener. What does he mean by that? Well, there's two activities that his father is doing. Well, number one, he's cutting off. He's cutting off the branches that do not bear fruit. If we look at this passage, and I've studied it and researched it this week, I believe that he's referring to people who, who reject him. People who may hung out with him for a while in his ministry, but walked away when he started giving them hard sayings of what it was going to be like to follow him. People kind of like the message of Jesus a little bit, like he's the kinder, gentler one to follow. But when he calls them to leave and to turn from their sin and turn from their patterns, they want nothing to do from in following and obeying him. So they walk away. And, and it says here that the gardener will cut them off. The other angle is another activity that he does is prunes. And what does he mean by that? Well, the branch that bears fruit, he wants to be more fruitful because he's glorified. The Father is glorified that we all who believe in him bear much fruit. God is passionately committed in our lives for us to grow. He wants us to grow in relationship to him. He wants fruit that will last. And fruit that will last is usually a picture of a fruit that's invested of, of a life that's in a faithful following life that's invested in God, his word, and people. That's the whole picture of what we see with the gardener. And it's a whole concept that Jesus brought in that even as followers, we would experience loss. That, that one part of us would need to die in order for the life of Christ in order to live. And that's that whole picture. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is a picture of a life with Christ, where we die to ourselves in order to live to God. It's a part of remaining close to him and receiving our source and sustenance through him. So you have the vine, you have the gardener, and then the third thing Jesus develops is the branch. And he says, you are the branches. And the whole picture of the branches, that branches, their whole purpose is to expand and to be healthy and to bear much fruit. You know, when, a, when a, uh, you look at a vineyard and you look at, you know, what's going to happen, you don't just look at the vine, you look at the branches and you see how the vine is doing. If everything's working well, nutrition and the energy is being forced and put into the right places, you go, wow, we had a good year. You had a good year by what the branches produce. And so the branches, that picture is that, that they're sourced. Jesus is saying, we're sourced. Your life is sourced and supplied by the vine. We don't produce fruit. We don't have fruit of faith in our lives. It's cut off because we didn't remain. But if we produce fruit, then we're pruned to bear even more fruit because we remained. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of discipline. Because God wants to train our lives to bear fruit that will last. That's the picture. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if we aren't producing fruit, the picture is we're kind of good for nothing. 
It's like Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 15, 1, where Israel had walked away from God and went and worshipped other idols and other gods for, for uh, their, their, their expression of faith. And Ezekiel called out to them and called them to repent. And in Ezekiel 15, 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, he said, How is the wood of a vine better than that of a branch on any of the trees in the forest? Is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? In other words, we don't see many grapevine houses. We don't see many structures of a house built with grapevines. Because that's not the purpose of a branch of a grapevine. The purpose is to produce fruit. It says, he says, is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Do they make pegs from it or hang things on? And after it's thrown on the fire as fuel and the fire burns both ends and chars in the middle, is it useful for anything then? Answer, no, it's not. If it was not useful for anything when it was whole, how much less can it be made into something useful when fire has burned it and it's charred? The whole picture is, if the branch is not producing grapes, what's the use? God's goal is to grow each of us. Not for the quality of our wood, but for the product of our fruit in our lives. God is passionate about growing each one of us into people who will bear fruit. Which is the final thing that Jesus develops. What is this picture of fruit? Fruit is that process by which the, the whole result of a healthy connection and supply of the roots and the rain, the vine and the sun and the branches and the growth. Grapes are a result of everything working together. And here Jesus is saying, when he says this, he says that the fruit is what we are appointed to go and bear. It's when a branch spreads out And says, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the branch, to bear that fruit. But it must remain in the vine. And Jesus is saying, it's my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. And what he's referring to is a life that is faithfully following him. It's the picture that it's not just about the get out of hell free card that Jesus came to give us. But it's also, he, he desires to pour his power through our lives that we might bear spiritual fruit and fruit that will last. There is a conflict, however. And the conflict in our lives is what kind of fruit are we going to produce? Is it going to be the fruit of this world or is it going to be the fruit of God through our lives? And the conflict is, is either your life will be good for fruit or it will be good for nothing. And I know it sounds harsh. I know it comes down to a confrontational point, but either your life is going to bear fruit that lasts or it's going to bear fruit that rots. And Jesus wants to produce that fruit. The only way we can produce this kind of fruit is to be faithful with him and to remain in him. That's why fruitfulness is, is always rooted in faithfulness. Fruitfulness is rooted in faithfulness. You want to be good at basketball? Then you got to be faithful at practicing. You want to be good in studies? Then you got to be faithful in in understanding and in studying yourself. You want to be good? Whatever it is, is is calling you to a faithful life because fruitfulness is rooted to faithfulness. 
And there's one word that Jesus develops 11 times in this passage. And that's the word remain. Remain in me. And one of the interpretations of remain is simply the English word stop. In other words, when you're about to wander, stop. Remain in me. Sometimes parents, if instead of saying stop to your child, just say remain. Now see how that works. Remain in me. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't wander. You want to go independent? Stop. Remain in me. You want to take the glory? You want to take the credit? You want to go, you know, just on your own life, on your own terms? Stop. Remain in me. That's the picture of what Jesus is saying. You know, Jesus created everything in the world. The Bible says that everything was created by him and through him. And, and the, the reality is, is if you look in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, when Jesus created living things, he said, he gave them a command. It was, be fruitful and multiply. He said that to trees and to birds and to fish and every living thing, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And when he, he did his crowning achievement and that he created in the image of God, humanity, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And here when he says, I'm the vine, he's again recommissioning us as believers to be fruitful and multiply. That's his desire in our lives. He wants to bear spiritual fruit in our lives, but it's related to remaining in him, recognizing that apart from him, we can do nothing. So how do we remain? Because that's kind of the, the question that comes from here is how do we remain in Jesus? And Jesus develops that. He continues teaching. Let's take a look at that. It's in verse nine. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus is going to detail three elements of what it looks like to remain in him. And he's going to also say, if you remain in me in these ways, this is going to be the fruit in your lives. And so I think there's a reward that he's calling us for. That if we remain in him, he will reward our lives with that. And there's three things I want to point out that I, I found in this text and I want to share with you. And uh, I want to just put this out, that a faithful follower of Jesus expects God's reward. You ought to expect God to reward your life as you remain in him. Life doesn't happen in a vacuum, and a relationship with Christ isn't just, well, you got to do this and that, and you got to make sure, and you, you, it's all up to you. No, this is a picture of you remaining in him, allowing him to work through your life. And as you follow Christ, 
these things are going to happen. You're all rewards-based. We all are. We can either expect the earth's or the world's reward for us, which usually are around things like power and position, possessions, beauty, fame, recognition, admiration, life on your own terms. You name it. That's what our world is wanting to expect. And I would just simply ask the question, how are those things working out for you? They aren't. They aren't. Or you could expect God's reward. And these are things that are priceless, that you cannot manufacture on your own. There's something that the vine has to reap and bear through your life as you remain in him. You can't do these things on your own. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. He's going to call us to to do three things as we remain in him. This is what remaining looks like. Number one, he's going to ask us to love him. And he's going to ask us to love others. And the reward of love is joy. Jesus said here, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Love each other as I have loved you. And I say this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Now, Jesus is not saying love like the world loves, because if we're going to do that, it's going to all be in, I'm going to love you if you love me back. And it's going to be the 50-50 relationship where you kind of go, boy, was she sensitive to me today? Because if she was, I'm going to love her back. She wasn't, wakes up in a bad mood. I'm in a bad mood. Just count me in there because we can do this. So I'm going to love you 30%, and that other person, well, I think they loved me 28% today. So it doesn't become this selfless, sacrificial love. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. And you don't know how selfish you are until you try to love someone else the way Jesus loves you. Try it sometime. I I tried it recently with, with my wife, and it was messy. It was messy because I didn't realize how selfish I was. And I got up one morning morning and I was reading just in the book of John. And I just said, Lord, help me to love my wife. Help me not to wait for her to be nice to me or to be sensitive to me. Help me just to be sacrificial with her. And I got up and my wife gave me one of those kind of frustrated looks with me. And immediately I was ready to go, let's go, you know. You know, it wasn't a to the moon, Alice kind of thing, but it was, I was starting to withhold a little bit because I started to realize she wasn't sensitive to me. And if we start, see, that's why I'm saying you cannot do this apart from remaining in the vine. You think this love is just going to come? I mean, those are Michael Bolton songs of love, okay? They aren't Jesus pictures of love, okay? Love is selfless. It's sacrificial. It's beyond feelings and into a commitment. And the only way we can get that is if we, if we love Jesus. Because he loves you like that. He doesn't wait for you to perform up to a level, to go to church so many times, to give so much before he goes, oh, yeah, now, now, now you're in. No, he loves you because he's a loving God and he chose to love you. And he loves you sacrificially so much He calls you friend and he laid down his life for you as his friends. Blow your mind kind of love. The only way you're going to learn how to love him and love others is to ask for it from him and to watch how he loved you.
You have no chance. I have no chance by manufacturing this love. We must remain in him. So if love is that picture of remaining and joy, the joy of what it looks like to love someone else and to be loved yourself. What's that fruit been like this year? If I could just look at your life on love, what would it, what would it tell me? What kind of crop would you have? What kind of year would you have? If that was the fruit of your life. Okay, too convicting. Let's move on to the next one. Jesus is going to say, not only do you love me, if you love me, you'll follow me. He says that um, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. He's talking to us about obedience. It's not just about loving him, it's obeying him. It's knowing who he is, what he's all about, and following him. You cannot take obedience out of relationship. Every relationship I am in whether it's with my wife, with our church, with my children, is all an angle. There's some angle to obedience to it because relationships are built with obedience. Our world has a wrong picture of obedience. They think we can chart our own path and just follow, oh, whatever way seems best to us. And it's not working out for us. There has to be an authority in our lives, and God is that authority. And Jesus says, obey him, obey me. You know my word. Follow me. Because that's how relationships are built. Some people think, oh, if I only trusted God more, I would obey him. No, obey him and that will build trust. Obey him. And there's going to be some stuff in the Bible that get right in my grill and in yours that confront us. Whether it's we're focusing on the wrong thing where it's trying to promote my image rather than the image of Christ through me. And they're going to get in our grill and we're going to be uncomfortable with them. What do you do when that happens? You know what most of our world does? They chuck the truth. Because it makes life uncomfortable. And instead of following, we wimp out. And our faith doesn't grow. God is passionately committed to our faith growing. And so we need to be people who go, well, I don't understand why you're calling me to do this. I don't fully grasp it, but I'm going to follow you. I don't feel like it. But I'm going to follow you. And you will find that your trust factor with God gets greater. Because every time you trust him, he is going to come through for you. It may not be on how you're planning it. But when you trust him, it builds relationship. When you obey him, it builds that trust. So someone comes to me and says, boy, I don't know that I trust the Lord. I said, are you obeying him? No, I don't know if I want to obey him. I mean, I don't really agree with everything he wants me to do. I said, well, then you'll never trust him. You got to obey him. Obey, obedience builds trust. God's given us a little lab experiment on it. They're called children. When children don't obey, there's that, there's that conflict. There's that tension in the home. You know that. You know that. That's why... Children are called to obey your parents. It's that angle that ultimately, do you trust the authority of your parents or would you rather look to your peer group? And I would simply say, whether or not you realize it, you need the wisdom of your parents. You do. They've lived it. They've seen it. They've made mistakes themselves. There are reasons why they call you to follow a different path than your peer group. And there are consequences as a result of you not doing that. And one of the key things is trust. Trust hurts 
parental relationship when kids don't obey. I just be open with this. I mean, when my kids obey and when they're sensitive, when I know they're making good decisions, you know what happens? You got more trust, man. You've made a really good decision there, James or Jack or Nathan. Because of that, man, I trust you. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt now to make good decisions. Here, James, take your car. Drive to Florida now. You're making good decisions. No, I don't do that. But there's that element that he grows as he makes, as they make greater decisions. Our relationship and that trust gets there. I trust him in other situations. God, God has trusted you with the gospel. And as you follow him, that relationship's going to build. You're going to trust him more. So if I were just to ask that question, of what kind of year have you had on obedience, on remaining in the vine? You could give me that story of relationship. Because your relationship would have gotten closer. And I could tell you, if you've refused to obey, I could definitely tell you your relationship with the Lord is not going to be that strong. It's that fruit that's revealed through remaining in the vine. What kind of relationship? What kind of story do you have? Man, there's stories all around us. There's stories I, I've been talking in between services with people. And there's stories of, man... I didn't want to trust God on this one, and I didn't want to obey, but I knew that it was best for me, even though I didn't feel the best at the time. And when I did, he gave me the peace. He gave me the confidence, and he showed me more of who he was when I did that, when I didn't take the easy way out, when I didn't cheat, when I didn't do this. And you got stories of faith. Those are cool stories. Not the stories of, yeah, Got to the point, I just backed out. I said, God, you go your way, I'm going mine. You know, those aren't great stories. Stories of faith are where we're trusting, we're obeying. And his relationship is bearing fruit in our lives. So there's love, there's obedience. And then there's another thing. This is really cool how Jesus does this. There's asking. That as we remain in him, as we love and as we obey, Jesus just says, ask. So many different people. I just think it's humorous to see how different people interpret this passage. They go, well, see, they look at ask because it's self-centered when they come to a relationship with God, that God exists for me. And so they look at this passage. They go, see that? If you want anything, think about a car. Think about a job. Think about a house. Think about prosperity. Think about anything because he says anything and they circle anything and they go ask. You can ask God anything and he will do it. If you, I mean, he owes it to you. And that's not the picture. You get the picture of Jesus saying, no, no, no. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Ask anything in my name. As you learn to love me, as you learn to love others, and my love isn't just dead ending in your life, it's moving out into others. And as you follow me, as you obey me, ask, ask whatever. And you will find that as you love him, you will start to, to desire in your life what he wants for your life. And you start realizing, I've had it all wrong. I have lived my life for me and what I want instead of what God wants to do through me. And, and that's called transformation. 
transforming your mind and transforming your attitudes and transforming your behaviors to follow Jesus. And as a result of that, what you ask for, your life will receive. So if I were to look at your life on what you asked this past year, what kind of things were you asking for? What kind of things have you been asking for? See, if I'm not intentional and I'm not remaining in the vine, it's going to be all about me. And I'm going to be ticked when God doesn't obey me. And God doesn't follow my plan for him. Instead of me following his plan for me. That's the picture. So as we love and as we obey, he goes, ask. You have a heavenly father that wants to open the floodgates of heaven. And I think we as the church haven't even scratched the surface of what God wants for us. If we would just ask for it. I mean, I'd hate to see the opportunity of us getting to heaven and God saying, look at all this. I had to pour through your life if you would have just asked. And I don't see God up there just, you know, being eternally frustrated with us because we don't ask. But man, he's putting himself out there. Ask. So what have you asked for? What could you ask for? You know, one of the things I've started asking for is to love him more. Because I don't love God on my own. I've got to ask it. He's got, to, he's got to teach me how to love. So I pray, God, can you, would, you, would you teach me what it's like? Would you give me more love for you? Because I want more of that. I'm pretty good at loving myself. And then I go, will you help me love my family better? Would you help me to love my friends? Would you help me love my church? Would you help me to love my neighbor? Would you help me to love everyone I come down? Like you love them. Not like I want to love them, but by you, by the way you love them. And you know what I find? I start loving people more. That there becomes the fruit of joy in my life. Because I've asked. Lord, give me a heart to obey you. Because right now, I don't want to. Just be, just be open. Give me a heart. Show me the reason why you want me to do this. Help me to trust you right now. Those are things we ought to be asking for. We ought to be asking that God uses our lives not to promote our own images, but the image of Jesus Christ through us. That the world would look at, at just like an expert of wine looks at and goes... What year was this? I know that year. It was a good year. I know the vine this came from. Where'd you get that? And that your life, the world would actually look at you like experts looked at wine and say, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Because I like that. And we do it by remaining in Christ. Loving, obeying, asking. Some of you, this is the first presentation of Jesus you've heard where it makes sense, where you realize it's not all about you. It's about someone who loved you enough to die on a cross and lay down his life for you. He took the punishment of God for you so that you don't have to die for it and you don't have to measure up for it. You just trust, you believe. And if that's you this morning, by faith, just Confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, it's all about you. It's not about me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I turn from those sins, and I turn to you. And I trust you. 
Help me to trust you. Help me to love you, to follow you, and to ask for your fruit to be born through me. If that's your heart, welcome to the family of faith. If that's just been your profession, welcome to the family of faith. You're now connected to the vine. For the others of you who have made that commitment and you've put your faith in Christ, just want to ask you, what's the fruit of your life been like? Will it last or has it rotted? God is compassionately committed in all of our lives to bear fruit that will last, remain in him. And for those of you who had a really good bumper crop year, God is glorified in your life. Continue to remain in him. There are people around you who are not here today because they are not connected to the vine. And God wants the fruit of your life to impact and spill over into their life. There's people who aren't here who could be here next year if you remain in the vine and bear fruit and reflect the love of Jesus in your world. Man, we're all, we're all called to bear fruit that lasts. And three things last. God, his word, and people. We need to be bearing fruit in the lives of people. We need to be people who are fruitful and multiply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. We don't debate it. We believe it right now. And Lord, I pray that you would bear a great fruit in the lives of each person here. As we know your truth and as we have experienced your grace, help us to love you and help us to love others. Not based on feelings, for they change but based on the reality, the fact of you who laid your life down for us because you love us. Help us to follow that kind of sacrificial, selfless love. Help us to follow you. Whatever the lures of this world, help us to expect your reward, not the world's. And Heavenly Father, help us to ask. We ask you. And we can ask you because ultimately remaining in the vine means that even Jesus is asking for us right now and your presence for these things to happen in our lives. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We trust that. We believe it. And we remain close to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.